So believe it or not, next week is the last message on the book of Acts. We've been doing this since summer, and as you know, this was, uh, we could have done this uh, a series on each chapter, um, but uh, I'd like this morning in the very brief time that I have to, to do a little tidying up, starting to summarize uh, the book. Um, you know, even a cursory read-through of Acts reveals repeated and unmistakable pattern. As the message of the resurrected Lord made its way through the entire Mediterranean region, those who told the story of Jesus often met aggressive opposition. And this opposition led to persecution and imprisonment and torture and even death. So as we begin, we're going to do a brief uh, travel log, if you will, of the hardships and trials of the followers Jesus' uh, uh, followers suffered in the book of Acts. And while we read these passages, I'd just like you to ask yourself a question as we quickly read through these verses, uh, many of which got preached on as we did this series. Ask yourself this question. It's up here. Uh, if this is what it meant to be a follower of Christ today in our society, would I be willing to follow Christ? As you hear these verses, ask yourself, if this is what it meant here and now, would I be a follower? So let's look together from Acts chapter 4. Watch these verses. They'll be up here. Don't even try to keep up. Uh, you can go back. Uh, the references are in your notes. But as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees came up to them. This is the apostles, of course. And they laid hands on them and they put them in jail from Acts chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, even put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. Acts chapter 13. But the Jews incited the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Acts 14. But the people of the city were divided, and an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them. From Acts chapter 20. Now I am not on my way to Jerusalem, Paul speaking, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Acts 21. Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came to the commander of the Roman cohort at once, he took along with some soldiers, and they saw the commander and the soldiers, and they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took him and ordered him to be bound with chains. And from Acts 23, and as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces. How'd you like that one? The Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Wow. Even a short list of the difficulties that the early believers faced for the faith leaves you astonished that Christianity ever made it off the ground. Who in the world would want to join this movement? Back then, a decision to follow Christ meant that you would almost assuredly face hardship and suffering and persecution. And here's what's absolutely remarkable. The early believers didn't complain about it. 
In fact, on the contrary, their response to these trials was joy and gratefulness. Look at two more passages from Acts, and look at the incredible paradox of their response. Look from Acts chapter 5. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, you ready for this? Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, guess what they did? They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And then from Acts chapter 16, the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrate tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Then they struck them with many blows and they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. This is, of course, Paul and Silas, right? And he threw them into the inner room and fastened their feet in stocks. And now comes one of the most out-of-place passages in all of Scripture. This next verse doesn't belong there, but here it is. Look at it. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. So why didn't they whine when they faced hardship? Why did they respond to trials and suffering with joy and worship and praise? Well, I think there are several reasons at least. First, you see, the lukewarm church hadn't emerged yet. There was no lukewarm church yet. And no one had yet invented the prosperity gospel or the gospel of ease or the gospel of cheap grace or the health and wealth gospel. See, those hadn't been invented yet. That wasn't their hope. That wasn't why they came to Jesus. So why did the early church face trials? This is your first blanks in your notes. If you got them, get them out and get your pen out. And you can see it's only half a page. What a reprieve. Um, why did the early church face trials, hardships with joy, worship, and praise? Reason number one, here you go. At that point, the church was made up of people who had authentically been transformed by the resurrection power of Christ. Listen to it. The church was made up of people who had authentically been transformed by the resurrection power of Christ. They didn't just start going to church. In fact, nobody just started going to church because it wasn't good for business back then. It was bad for everything to start going to church. And then reason number two, look at this. The early believers didn't expect leisure or ease or prosperity. Think about that. That wasn't their expectation. That wasn't why they joined the cause. See, this is where we um, find one of the great contrasts between the early church and the church of our culture. The early church's understanding of God's purpose for believers, think about this, God's purpose for believers was dramatically different than most churches teach today. So I'd like to begin by making sure that we understand what the Scripture teaches about God's great purpose for every believer Look at it uh, uh, on the screen. It comes from Romans chapter 8. Here's his purpose, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, God, he also predestined. You ready? Here's our purpose. Here's why God has made us believers. To be conformed to the image of his son. Here's the key concept, write it in. God's primary purpose, God's primary purpose for believers is to conform us to the image of his son. 
Nowadays, this idea has been all but abandoned by the majority of the churches in America. You see, the typical Christian believes that the main purpose for coming to Christ is to get our sins forgiven so we can go to heaven. That's what most American Christians think is the purpose of getting saved, to get your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven. Um, And dozens of surveys have shown that rather than being conformed to the image of Christ, the typical born-again believer in America is actually conformed to the ways of the world. And the pervasive attitude of many believers is that they've got the forgiveness ticket, if you will, and now it's God's duty to bless them while they live their life the way that they want to. But the book of Acts teaches us that far from the Christian life being one of ease and comfort, if we truly desire to follow Jesus, God will do whatever it takes to conform us to his image. Do you realize that? He loves us so much, if he has to, he'll beat us to a pulp to make us like Jesus. That's how much God loves us. I hear that witness. (laughs) I actually prefer the staff to the rod myself, but uh, God will use the rod if he needs to. Um, So notice, God will allow us to experience challenges and sometimes even great challenges. And he'll call us to willingly walk straight into hardship. He'll test us to see if we actually pay the price to reject the ways of the world. In a phrase, God will do whatever he must to conform us to the image of his son. And this will only happen when we allow him to sustain us and cleanse us and teach us and mold us as we make it through tough times. Now this helps us understand why the book of Acts spends so much time describing how the followers of Jesus experience tribulation. In Philippians, the apostle Paul describes what it took for him to be conformed to the image of Christ Look at this. Look at the purifying and molding process in Paul's life from Philippians 3. It's on the screen. But whatever things were gained to me, those I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Look at this. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. That I may know him and the power of the resurrection, and amazingly enough, look at this, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, contrary to much false teaching in the church today, God's primary purpose in our life is not to make us happy or comfortable or prosperous. We've ended up with a warped and non-biblical concept of God's blessing. Do you know what? the scripture teaches is the greatest blessing God can give to a human being. The greatest blessing God can give to a human being is to make us like his son. And that is not an easy task for God. Think about that. The true biblical blessing. Here's the key concept. Here's your blanks. Write it in. Our calling is to be conformed to the image of Christ and The ultimate picture of this is being conformed to his death. Coming to the point of death and saying, your way, Lord, not mine. And this means that the Father wants us to be able to fearlessly face tragedy and mistreatment, pain, listen to this list, to face disappointment and persecution, loneliness, betrayal, sickness and poverty, and even death. He wants us to be able to suffer these things and still have an unshakable love an unquenchable peace 
and a steadfast courage. This is God's great purpose for our lives. So listen carefully. Most of the American church is in a deep slumber or completely distracted. Many believers are either lazy and lukewarm or our attention is focused on the things of the world. But here's the problem with that. The Word teaches us, and the clear message of our day is, this is the final age. The end is near. His coming is imminent. The time is short. So we're in a day when the Savior is urgently looking for people who will lay down their lives for Him, be totally committed to Him. He's looking for people who will be a living sacrifice. And the reason why he is, is that Jesus saves his world through people who look at hardship and persecution and they find joy in the fact that they've been found worthy to suffer for his name. The most powerful tool of redemption is a believer who will look at the cross and say with Jesus, not my will, not my blessing, that's not my great purpose, My great purpose is to be like you, Lord, and do what you must to make me like that. See, the master doesn't just want us to be holy. You know, my dog doesn't sin, but he's not holy. The Lord doesn't just want the absence of sin in the believer's life. You know what he wants? He wants us to be dead, because when we're dead, we finally come to the point where he has all of us. Our hopes, our future, our job, our family, our dreams, our plans, our strength, our talents, and all of our possessions. And see, it's only at this point that he has everything. And when a person has given him everything, the forces of darkness run for cover. Did you know that when God has all of you, the demons cower? They're not impressed with you. But when you're fully given to God... They know they're in trouble. You see, that's how God wins this great, powerful battle that's going on when a child of God has become so conformed to the image of his son that the forces of darkness flee in terror because they have lost. You see, when that happens, they can even threaten us with death. And the believer responds, for me to... Live is Christ, and let me put it in the New Spade International Version. And to die is an upgrade. Imagine living life. Like Paul saying, oh, I can't believe these lousy Corinthians. i got to stay around from them. They're so pathetic in their faith. But I'd rather be gone and be with Jesus. How do you threaten a guy like that? There's no threat to a person who's so given to God. So here's the great victory, write it in. The great victory in the kingdom, write it in. When the believer has truly gone to the cross, the enemy is defeated. You want to defeat the enemy in your life? Stop worrying about the enemy and give your life fully to Jesus. Don't focus on him. You become like him and the enemy is defeated in your life. Now, why is this so devastating to the enemy? This is going to be, even the kids are going to understand this part. Let's think about the enemy's weapons, right? right? Remember, the enemy's come to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy's coming to take stuff from everybody, right? To make things miserable. That's what the enemy does. The enemy wants to make your life horrible. And so here, look what happens at the powerlessness of the enemy when a Christian 
is totally crucified and given to Christ. The enemy says, I'll take your job from you. And they respond, you can't take my job from me. My job already belongs to him. The enemy says, well, I'll take your health from you. I'll give you the C word, or I'll give you something horrible. And they respond, I've already given him my body as a living sacrifice. It's not mine anymore. The enemy says, I'll take away your possessions, and I'll drive you into poverty. And they respond, everything I have, I've already given back to the one who gave me everything in the first place. I'm just a steward. The master owns everything. You have to argue with him. He's the owner. You can't take anything from me. It's already gone. The enemy says, I'll take away your family. And they respond, I've already given them to the Lord. They belong to him too. And then the enemy says, all right, I'll show you. I'll take your very life from you. And they respond to the enemy with the fatal blow. Satan, I'm already dead. I've gone to the cross. My life is no longer mine. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's not me who lives any longer, but Christ who lives in me. Go check with the one who died with me and for me. You see, when I get to this point, the enemy can even threaten us with death, and he holds no power over us. He can threaten to kill us and be completely powerless. Here's why. I think this may be your last blank. Write it in. The fatal blow to the enemy. Ready? Death is no threat to someone who's already dead. You know, nobody's afraid in a graveyard not one person in that graveyard is afraid of anything. Death is no threat to someone who's already died in Christ and said, it all, it's all him. You, can't, you have nothing to take from me, enemy. So as we close the message, can you believe it? I told you. <clears throat> and as we prepare to sing, okay, we're going to, we are now, by, by the way, today's Worship Sunday, right? So we're really focusing on Thanksgiving, and now we're going to, to spend a time in this mag praising this magnificent Christ who came and died and has made it so we can be fearless against anything. This great God and Savior who we're going to praise together. I'd like, as we, we close, to, to remind us of one more passage from Acts. Pastor Kurt did a magnificent job on this a couple of weeks ago. Here's the setup for the passage. The Lord has repeatedly told Paul that despite the grave danger that he'll face, he has to go to Jerusalem. Remember this? Paul, you're going to Jerusalem. Repeatedly, you're going to Jerusalem. Paul, you're going to Jerusalem. And he's arrived at Caesarea, and he's meeting with the believers there. And here's what happens. And coming to us, this is Luke writing for the believers that are with Paul. Agabus took Paul's belt and bound his own feet. So think about the picture. Agabus takes Paul's belt off, and then he binds his own uh, uh, feet and hands, right? The prophet here bound like this, and he says, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, I love this. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Wow, wow, wow. Can't you just hear him? Stop, everybody, for, listen to this testimony, I am not only willing to be bound, 
but I am willing to die for the name. See, look what Paul was showing them. Death is no threat to someone who's already dead in Christ, who's now truly alive in Christ. When you have the resurrection power, if you really believe death is no threat to the believer, all power is gone in your life against you. And this is why the early church was so powerful. This is why they turned the Roman Empire upside down. This is why the powers of evil were terrified, terrified by the early church. This is why the enemy was on the run in their day. This is why in three centuries, 10% of the entire Roman Empire knew Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, have you been crucified with Christ? Is it no longer you who live, you who are in the center, you who calls the shots, you who are in control, but Christ, rather, because you've died to your own will, Christ lives in you? And has the power of the resurrected Christ removed your worries and your anxieties? Has the indwelling spirit made you fearless? Has the enemy fled from you because no, he no longer has authority over you? Has the enemy come to realize that there's nothing he can threaten you with because you've already died to your own will and your own way is no longer an issue? So there's nothing he can take away from you? Have you dealt the fatal blow to the enemy so there is literally nothing he can threaten you with? Now I want to pause for a moment to spot, uh, talk just briefly to those who haven't really given your life to Christ. You might be thinking, as all of the people in Ro Rome and Jerusalem at that time must have been thinking, why would I want to accept Christ if it means sacrifice and hardship and persecution? Well, if you're not a believer, let me remind you of a simple truth. <laughs> you're going to experience hard times whether you come to Christ or not. Everybody got it? Everybody in the room, everyone is going to face problems. But the difference between the believer and the non-believer when it comes to facing difficulty is that the believer experiences peace in the midst of the storm. They're not blown out of the water when they've already given it all to him. So would you like to have victory over the fear in your life? Would you like to have joy when it's not going well in your life? Would you like to be hopeful and confident even when life's tough? Would you like to have the kind of joy that's so deep that you can be singing in the middle of the night when you're in prison? That kind of joy that's unquenchable? You see, that will never happen unless Jesus is everything to you. So, whereas the book of Acts brought us to, it confronts us with a series of challenging questions. Have you been conformed? You, not your wife, not your spouse, not your kids, not your parents. Have you been conformed to the image of Christ? Have you gone to the cross? Have you been crucified with Christ? Has the enemy lost all of his hold on you because you've given everything, literally everything to Christ? As we finish, we're going to watch a video. It's a video that shows what it means to be a follower of Christ in many parts of the world. It's a video from an underground church somewhere on the planet. As you watch it, I want you to ask yourself if you've given yourself so completely to Jesus that you're willing to trust him with everything, releasing everything to the Lord, giving all of your life to him, every possession, every relationship, every plan, every hope, every desire. Watch this. <laughs> 